Huge new federal laws governing tobacco and nicotine use, including the marketing and dissemination of product information. Vaping Weekly is now only intended for adults aged 21 years and over. If you live in a state or jurisdiction that allows for younger, this podcast is then for those over the age of 18 years. Listener discretion is advised. Hi everybody, my name is Michael McGrady and I am the public policy columnist for the English edition of VapingPost.com and I am your host for Vaping Weekly. I want to say thank you for coming in and uh, listening to our episode of uh, this week and uh, we feature um, a nice uh, interview with Chelsea Boyd of the R Street Institute and we also discuss some international headlines uh, related to this current situation in Australia, not to mention some domestic headlines in the United States and... We're going to go down south, see what's happening in Latin America. So, thank you very much for tuning in, and this is Vaping Weekly Update. We're going to begin today's uh, headlines really quick with some news coming out of Hong Kong. Uh, S'more International Holdings, uh, the parent company of Vaporesso, uh are now actually one of the very first companies in Hong Kong to be listed on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. Uh, They are considered one of the largest uh, companies in the world that create create and manufacture vaping equipment and uh, devices and also liquids and they're headquartered at Shenzhen. So good news for them. In some quick science news, uh, very interesting study coming out of our uh, coming out of uh, the University of California, San Francisco. Um, their researchers, um, surprisingly not led by Stan Glantz, uh, researchers in the Adolescence Medicine Division for the university have uh, determined that one in three young adults may face uh, severe COVID-19 threats. Uh, a UCSF study shows, and you know, being that. Um, it's 18 to 25 year olds who are considered an overall medical vulnerability, according to the study's authors. Um, and they sampled out of 8,400 men and women based on this information. So very interesting findings, adding to the debate related to uh, COVID and the relationship it has with uh, vaping and smoking. And, you know, let's jump to Australia. You know, uh, the the news in Australia is really, really weird, and I have to say that I'm I'm really kind of appalled at what's going on there, uh, as I think all of you are, including our Australian listeners and our colleagues in there in that country. So you know, um, you know, I saw something from the uh, Australian Tobacco Harm Reduction Association that shows um, that the country's Medicare program, their national health care assistance program. Are beginning are beginning to further restrict prescriptions for nicotine. Uh, if you don't know uh, about the situation um, in Australia, the new rules that are trying to be put into place by uh, Health Minister Greg Hunt uh, require um, prescriptions for nicotine, and unless that there's an importation ban on that. So you know, uh, it's already happening. Things are starting to. It was weird, and you know, we'll have to see. Uh, as I said in our last episode, we just got to pay attention and be there for our brothers and sisters in Australia. Okay, now for some uh, domestic policy news in the United States. The uh, uh, state of Montana is preparing to hear a flavored ban that would um, 
completely ban flavored vaping products across the state. Um, they proposed this bill about a month ago in the um, legislature in Montana. So um, we'll keep an eye on that and, uh, you know, just stay on top, top of that. And in addition to that, we're seeing a lot more uh, policy related to the taxes and um, new reforms coming in with the uh, uh, many congressional proposals at the national level, including uh, the Senate the Senate proposal that was passed some days ago regarding um, the ban on online sales and, you know, formalizing that. And as I said uh, at the beginning of this episode, um, uh, I have uh, a small little update from um, our fellow activists and vapors and Latin America. Um, all I can say is that uh, there are some very large projects coming out, uh, including a brand new publication called Vaping Today. Uh, this is not a plug or an advertisement. Um, I'm just letting you know that this is what I'm hearing. And, you know, to be on the lookout for that, it will be a Spanish and English language um, publication. Uh and it will be put on by uh, ARDT and Barrel America Vapors and, uh, you know, um, all of the specific uh, groups down operating down there in Brazil, Argentina, Colombia, even in Central America. So, you know, good news coming out of Latin America. Uh, coming up is a segment from my interview with Chelsea Boyd. Um, like I said, and as I have been doing on these episodes, uh, these segments are merely just snippets of... Uh, what is discussed uh, in this snippet? Uh, we're discussing um, the uh, ICOS approval here in the United States uh, that the heat not burn products that is now going to take the market by storm, I might say. And then um, we'll also talk about MRTP and uh, anything else related to PMTA. Uh, so here's that segment with Chelsea Boyd, our Street Institute expert. Fantastic. All right. I think the biggest thing about the ICOS MRTP is that it gives us a little bit of faith that the FDA understands that there are modified risk products that are non-oral products and that hopefully they will take a kinder, gentler stance to vaping when the MRTP and PMTA process for those products gets underway here in September. I think it also shows that now they have at least one other product through the MRTP process, which although I am not terribly hopeful of this, but perhaps it will mean that they'll, they have a better idea of how to usher these applications through the process more quickly. As far as my work goes, it adds a lot of legitimacy to the things that we've been saying over the years to have yet another health governing body discuss and signal that they believe that there is public health benefit to these reduced risk products. So now that we have both Swedish Match and ICOS with MRTPs, we're seeing that alternative risk or alternative tobacco products are starting to receive more of the attention from the FDA than what we've seen in the past. And that is really important and it makes going and talking to legislatures easier when you're, when you have the FDA as well as Public Health England and the uh, Royal Academy of Physicians and all of these nat internationally recognized governing bodies available 
to really legitimize the work that you're doing. Because of course, we all know that that these products are very helpful for smokers who are trying to quit. But when you're trying to convince the audiences that are not so um, keen on the idea of allowing more tobacco products out into the marketplace, it helps a lot to have the FDA backing at least one of them. And we'll see how that goes as we see the PMTA and MRTP process proceed with other products in the coming year or more. Well, almost definitely more. It's going to be hard to see a direct correlation between an MRTP approval of ICOS and smoking rates in the United States, particularly for a while. Um, You can certainly watch things and indicators like sales features um, of both cigarettes, combustible cigarettes, as well as the ICOS system and see if there looks to be an exchange going on. There will certainly be lots of research in that area, Um, but whether or not we'll see something akin to Japan where smoking rates have dropped, uh, have clearly dropped, that remains to be seen. A lot of that's going to depend on the marketing of ICOS as well as the price point, because as we know, in the United States, a lot of smokers are in uh, lower socioeconomic uh, categories. And if we can't find ways to make the heat not burn products economical for them, then that may be a barrier to entry for some of, for a large swath of the smoking population in the United States. I'm hopeful that it does help with our smoking rates. Um, And even if we just have one smoker switch to a less harmful product, we know that we are having a net benefit to public health, regardless of whether or not we see large drops in the smoking rate, just based upon this one category, it is certainly a win for those of us who are um, championing harm reduction. I've already seen some ups- some upset members of the tobacco control community about the ICOS MRTP because as we know, it's not harmless, but it is significantly less harmful than combustible cigarettes, which we can now say loudly and proudly uh, with that M- MRTP designation. As far as tobacco control, we know that ICOS does not attract adolescents and young people to use this device. It's not particularly appealing to non-adult smokers, which is yet another reason why it's appropriate for the protection of public health, which makes it a little difficult to understand the tobacco control argument other than the prevailing feeling that many have in that community that the only option is to quit smoking and anything else is not um, an improvement over combustible products and in that you're only switching your addiction to one from one to the other. Of course, as harm reductionists, we see that there's a lot of room between combustible products and complete cessation. Obviously, complete cessation is the most healthy choice that someone can make. However, we know that there are a lot of reasons why people don't make that choice or can't make that choice. And 
I think having yet another product in addition to Swedish matches, schnooze, we can now point to the to the spectrum of risk or the continuum of risk on these products much more easily and say, well, here, now we can place ICOs um, proportionally or even have that backing of a governing body to say, we have recognized that there is a modified risk to this product and that there is a way that you can market it to adult smokers that shows them that there is a reduction in risk in using this product from a combustible cigarette. And that's really the most important thing. Hopefully, if we see more of the MRTP approvals come through, we can see a cultural shift in that we can talk more about this continuum of risk because so much of what's been problematic in our current culture and debate in tobacco control and harm reduction is that most of the main tobacco control advocacy groups don't have any, don't use any language about reduction of risk. As we can see, and as we know, and it's getting so much attention during COVID, for pretty much for any risk behavior, there is a way that you can decrease your risk. And so just in the same way now, in, during COVID that we say wearing a mask can reduce, reduce your risk of transmitting COVID or um, getting COVID, decreasing your exposure to some of the harmful chemicals by using a reduced risk product is, and by completely eliminating the combustion, um, by using the ICO system or Swedish snooze or vaping, you are significantly decreasing the um, health risks associated with using nicotine products. Generally speaking, this is a great win for both the ICO system as well and the harm reduction community overall. And most of all, it's a big win for smokers. This hopefully gives hope to not just the smokers who haven't quit yet, but also to the people who are out there, uh, the grassroots people fighting to keep alternative risk products available for um, the smokers who have yet to quit completely. And that was Chelsea Boyne, uh, a research fellow and harm reduction policy at the R Street Institute in Washington, D.C. Um, you know, uh, thank you for listening to that entire segment. Again, if you want to listen to the entire interview, just let us know. We'll be more than happy to put it up. Uh, other than that, uh, that's the news. That's the uh, information that we have to offer today. Uh, thank you again for listening to Vaping Weekly. Uh, and... Uh, enjoying vaping weekly returns you know we got more episodes planned a lot more interviews um and uh, a lot of big names in tobacco harm reduction and public health and uh industry even so you know let's uh let's uh stay ready for that and thank you for listening again um uh, just a reminder vaping weekly uh is produced and created by michael mcgrady in association with vapingpost.com uh, my name is Michael Madredi, as I said. I am the public policy columnist for the English edition of VapingPost.com uh, with technical assistance from Perihelion Creations in Monument, Colorado. We are independent of Big Tobacco. Thank you very much for listening to this episode, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>